Welcome and thanks for tuning in. While you listen to this podcast and think about the topics that we'll explore, remember, the areas you're moving into are always most important. Plan well and move to protect others and yourself. That's how you deliver flawless service and move America safely. So enjoy life and enjoy this podcast. All right, welcome to another episode of Keeping It Rail. I'm Travis, and I'm here with Jason Francis, one of our fleet training managers. Jason, how you doing? I am doing great. i got a lot of brand new students that are doing a great job. Um, personal life, uh, the gallery is is running gangbusters at the moment. The band, we just had a show this weekend, and uh, that went off really without a hitch, so I enjoyed that a lot. Where'd you guys play at? We played at, now you're putting me on the spot. We played at Rookies in Stevens Point. I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we also have our Vice President of Safety and Claims Management, John Spiros, here on the show. John, how you doing? I'm great. So, John, what did you do before trucking? So, I've been in trucking now for over 30 years. So, I've been at, here at for rail uh, for 20 years. And uh, prior, uh, prior to getting in trucking, I was actually in law enforcement. And that was down in Texas. For some reason, everybody thinks I was up here and a state trooper. And no, I was a regular patrol officer down in the uh, Dallas Metroplex. And I uh, did that for a number of years. And prior to that, was in the Air Force. So really, from high school to the Air Force to law enforcement and then to trucking. And I've been in trucking for 30-plus years. So uh, it's been good. I want to say thank you for your service right off the bat. Thank you. And uh, just to be fair, we did look up your wiki page. <laughs> we saw that you won a medal while you were in the Air Force. The Earned Air a medal. Oh, yeah. The Air Force... Accommodation uh, medal. Accommodation medal. Yep. That is pretty impressive. Yeah. It was uh, basically a... Uh, I was in security police, mm -hmm. and there was a individual that uh, we had identified as somebody that you should be looking out for. And I was able to uh, find him when he came through our security checkpoint. I recognized him and apprehended him at that point. And uh, I received a commendation medal at that point. And then when I left Germany and went back to the States for my, for my service in Germany, I got an accommodation medal. So I actually received two accommodation medals Fantastic. from the Air Force. So Fantastic. yeah, it was a, it was, it was a great career. And I spent two years in Germany and four years in uh, Nebraska at Offutt Air Force Base, which was Headquarters SAC, which was the Strategic Air Command. And uh, I worked uh, for the uh, SAC Elite Guard, and the SAC Elite Guard is what basically protected the generals, the admirals uh, for the SAC headquarters. And that was really, it was a unique uh, experience because not only did we do the security there we also did parades so whenever there would be a retirement we'd be part of that uh parade for that colonel or that general uh and i don't mean a parade like out on on you know a main street in marshfield i'm talking about a very formal parade yeah. of uh, retiring the sac crest uh or basically retiring that that officer 
uh, you know, their time in the service. So uh, it was uh, it was enlightening and it, it was a great experience. But uh, I did six years and, and I was um, happy that I did it. Uh, I mean, I wasn't so sure when I started out because I was only uh, 18. You know, when I went into the Air Force, I was 17. My mother had to sign for me <laughs> right out of high school. And then I was I went right to Germany and I'd never been away from home. So and I went right at Christmas. So it was very difficult time. And where were you in Germany? Was that Ramstein? Uh, no, Ramstein is where we flew into. And uh, that's where actually you go in and then they have a bus pick pick you up and they drop people off at different bases. Mine was Han Air Base, Han, and okay. Han's no longer there. It's Han Air, it's, it's Airstrip today. It's just... I was stationed in Mannheim. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. That's cool. I was Thank you a, as well. I was in the transportation <laughs> yeah. part of it. Um, we were. I was delivering mail, so I drove a semi-truck <laughs> delivering mail to all the embassies all over Europe. It was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I got to go a lot of places. Yeah, that's great. Mine wasn't. Mine was pretty much right there, and mine <laughs> had to do with uh, uh, that was during the Cold War. Ooh. So we had a quick reaction area, and we had a weapons area, and sure. uh, and we had six six birds that were ready to go at any point. Sure. Uh, so was responsible for that, but I, I learned a great deal, and like I said, it just uh, being in the Air Force, I, I was very. I'm, I'm proud of my service. So. We are as well. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thank you guys. Uh, trucking. Where does trucking come in the picture? Well, you know, when I got out of law enforcement, we went back to Ohio. I'm from Ohio originally. So um, I was done with law enforcement. My daughter was born. She had a heart defect, and we decided we were going to go back to family. So we went to Ohio, and I was trying to get into law enforcement uh, in Ohio, and it was it was difficult. I got hired by the Mansfield Police Department, and I'm just like, yeah. Uh, the chief called me up and said, you know, you're gonna have to pay this for dues, and you have to you have to pay for your uniforms and all that. And when it all came down to it, it was very difficult to try to do that with a child, and you know, and and I mean, police salary at that point was like eighteen thousand dollars, which wasn't a whole lot. So I had an opportunity to go for an interview for a trucking company in Youngstown, and they had flatbeds and they had vans. I really didn't know too much about trucking, but I, the part that I did know is when I was in law enforcement, uh, I was a traffic officer besides a patrol officer, and I had a set of portables. So I would weigh trucks. So I knew, I understood that piece of it, and I understood the bridge uh, lengths and whatever when you were looking to weigh. So uh, I did a little bit with, with that. So when I went for this interview, I thought it, they told me it was for a director of security, and I'm thinking, well, that falls into what I've done. And when they told me it was a director of safety, I'm like, I don't know too much about safety, you know, from that aspect. But that was actually when the Safety Act of 1986 came about, which uh, brought the CDL, which brought the drug testing and everything else into the industry. Basically, what it came into was all the rules uh, from the standpoint of uh, drug testing again, the CDL, uh, and then all the regulations that we have today. So I learned a great deal, but I learned a lot of it just hands-on doing it. And I went out with a number of drivers uh, when I first started. I went out with a number of van drivers and a number of our uh, uh, flatbed drivers, especially our short doubles and our long doubles who drove on the toll road. 
I say a lot of drivers helped me out, uh, you know, because I got to meet them. I got to know them and really uh, had good experience when it came down to uh, uh, just learning about the industry. I could say the same because of all the drivers I work with yeah. to create content and all that stuff. So I, I relate to that. Yeah. yeah. So was that the last step before you came to rail, that other trucking company, and then you came to rail? So, or was there no, there was a few different trucking companies. Uh, this by far, you know, being here 20 years now, uh, I've been here 20 since, since August. Okay. And prior to that, I was with a carrier. I mean, most of the carriers were right there in the Ohio area. Uh, the carrier prior to coming here was a carrier in Cleveland. And really where everything has come to is Wisconsin. Right on. And then you ended up here at the at your home, Rail. <laughs> yeah, I did. So tell us, what do you do here at Rail? What is your role? And in... Yeah. So my function here is I'm responsible for all of our safety as well as our entire claims. It's everything that's in that green and white book from a regulatory standpoint. So when you look at that green and white book from the beginning to the end, from hazmat to logs to inspections of the vehicle to securement of loads uh, to operating safe to to everything that's in there we're responsible for and that basically is one of those things you know from that end of it and then the securement piece uh we're responsible for to make sure loads are secured that they don't fall when we're going down the road things like that has this material that we have the right placards on we have the right uh, uh, material as far as we're checking and validating that we have the bill of lading and that everything matches like it's supposed to. So from the safety end, it's it's the entire program. And, you know, there's some companies out there that safety's an island or the operations can be an island. And really, it's it's taking those islands away and making sure that uh, we're all part of this in, in the same same program. And we call that operationalizing safety, right? Operationalizing safety, right. And we operationalize in safety with our operations team, our fleet managers. Uh, and typically what happens is just like, just to give you an example on the, the preventability, you know, making a preventability determination uh, that'll go to the fleet manager. And uh, the fleet manager will be the one to is responsible for their drivers. And they'll have that discussion for with their drivers. So, And ultimately... It's on the drivers. We're here. You're here right. to help them do the right thing, right? Absolutely. But that's why we do the why we have the training the way it is. That's why there's always different training going on at different times, uh, so that we can keep everybody abreast and informed. Just like right now, you know, it's it's we're talking. You know, here it is winter, and we're dealing with. Uh, uh, bad weather. So we're trying to keep that communication out to the fleet as well as to our fleet managers, to our customer service, so that we can continue to keep everybody informed from the driver all the way to the customer. And, you know, one thing we I think we take pride in, and I know I just talked to a fleet manager upstairs about this, is the fact that our drivers have the ability to not operate when the roads are bad or when they're fatigued or when they're when they're not feeling well. I mean, that's all part of the rules, but bottom line is we, we want our drivers to make sure they're parked or they're, they're somewhere uh, in a safe location uh, and they're not operating when uh, others might be told you have to do it. Uh, it's not safe to do it. We don't want them out there. And instead of pushing our drivers, we go to our customer service people, have our customer service people reach out to the customer, sure. make it work, right? Right. Yep. I mean, it just it's a 
it's always a phone call. I mean, that's one thing that we try to get across to our drivers is the fact that we want you to call and talk to your fleet manager. I mean, it's just it's as simple as if you got off route or you got lost, find a safe place, call, stop and call. I mean, it just it, it's so important because it's it's not like driving a car where you can keep driving a car all the way around. You can make corners, you can make turns, you can do, you can turn around, you can make a U-turn and all these things. Uh, with a truck, you can't do these things. And making the U-turns unsafe. And bottom line is, what we want drivers to do is call in and talk to us. We can try to help them get out of that situation. And if we can't, then we're going to reach out to law enforcement and see if they don't help them out. Uh, but don't continue on. I mean, the, the one thing I see with drivers is they all, I think they're embarrassed. You know, if I have to call in and tell someone I'm lost or call in and ask, it's like, no, that's what we want you to do. I don't care whether you have one mile, 20,000 miles, a half million miles, four million miles. If you don't know something or you're questioning something or you're in a situation that's, you know, that you feel is unsafe, call in and talk to us. I mean, it's, we put that out there all the time. And that's what we, I mean, I think that I've always prided myself on that. And I've heard from many drivers that love that about us is the opportunity to make that phone call, talk to a fleet manager and get things right. Yeah. One of the, one of the things I hear when, when, when drivers call in and they say, Oh man, I'm lost and all this, and I'm in a place where I shouldn't be. Um, one of the things I'll do is I will look up the number for the local law enforcement and tell them just sit right where you are because you're safely parked, you're not damaging anything, and give this number a call and have the local authorities come out. And they're all, if not afraid to, they're nervous about calling the authorities. Right. And I'm I, and I I tell them repeatedly, it's like it it is not very often that you will get a ticket in that situation. They will come out and they will help you right. out. I don't. I hesitate to say they won't give you a ticket because it is possible. But it's even with a ticket, I believe it's better than getting into a predicament where you're damaging something or hurting yeah. somebody. Or well, I've I've seen some bad predicaments. I mean, you know, uh, and you're absolutely right. It's ninety nine percent. You don't have anything to worry about. One percent, maybe they'll cite you. Maybe they'll give you a warning. But still, that's better than dealing with an accident that could take an hour, could take two hours, or could put you out of service because uh, you damaged the vehicle in a way that was unsafe, or you rolled the vehicle. Yeah, I've seen those situations where uh, people have continued to drive and got to put themselves in a bad situation rather than stopping and calling, and they made a, a serious mistake, and that's all they had to do was call. And let's just say it took 15 minutes or we had to bring a wrecker out there or we had to bring law enforcement. You know, they might be sitting there for 30 minutes or whatever else, but now you're now who knows how long. Absolutely. So when you when you make those type of mistakes. Jason, how many years of driving experience do you have, Jason? I drove for 30 years before I came into the office to work. When you were at year 25, did you ever get lost? Definitely. I still get lost even in my pickup truck. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's funny that you that you bring that up because you know I see drivers that try to use their GPS, and we have you know we just had had one the other day was using his GPS, and run run try to run through eleven point four bridge, and a eleven foot four inch bridge 
is not going to do well with a with a 13 plus trailer so uh and that's why it's important too that if you don't know where you're at call in but really you know, we don't want you to be using your own GPS because your own GPS isn't set up for trucking. Uh, and we all do, we, we all, even no matter how, how old we are, have the ability or the opportunity to get lost. Even with a GPS, we can still get lost. It doesn't take you everywhere that's just perfect and all that. But that's why it's so important before you leave for the day that you prepare to drive, that you know where you're going, your trip plan. That way, A, not only do you know the routes that you have to take, but you also have an idea of where you're going to stop at the end of the day. Uh, it makes it so much easier because what you don't want to end up in is being over your hours because now I can't find any place because I didn't set myself up properly. Uh, the other thing is, you know, you get lost or whatever else. Again, stop, call in, but you know, you'll have an idea too when you make a turn and say, oh, I shouldn't have turned there or I know I have to make this turn because that's part of my trip plan. I, I know this is the road I have to go down. Uh, and everything else. So it, it's so important to do the small things so that we stay out of the big things. You know, what I hear is get a nice Rand McNally, new Rand McNally paper map, right? And uh, go through it, uh, map your route out, write it down, compare it to the ELD, the co-pilot, make sure everything is right. Is that how, is that, does that sound good? Well, I had a laminated one, but uh, you know, I had a big laminated one. I, you know, so, and I, stay, I still think in the bottom of my desk, I can still find a laminated map that has all the uh, scales, it has all the truck stops, it has a lot of other information in there, has the low bridges, you know the truck routes versus non-truck routes. It's just, that way you can take a look and you can reference uh, that piece of it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know we have the co-pilot, it gives them their route. Um, on their workflow, it lists the directions turn by turn by turn, okay? I always, since how I work with new drivers, one of the requirements for that, I always tell them to write their directions down before they start. Do not follow that red arrow blindly on the GPS because it will get you in trouble. And I make them pull out the atlas and compare it, make sure they're on designated truck routes. I show them in the front of the book where all the restricted routes are and all that kind of stuff. It's all part of their training when they're doing their trip planning, so... And you got to really be careful because we have some routes that we have put off. I mean, we don't want drivers going there. I mean, and those are routes. And we have some here in Wisconsin that drivers have tried to come down because it might be a shorter way to get to the customer. But those are restricted routes. They have a weight restriction, and they'll hit you hard. Uh, I mean, fines between ten and twenty-five thousand dollars because you tried to go, go with a shorter route when. It was, uh, you know, it was limited to uh, uh, vehicles under a certain weight. So it's important, it, it's truly important to, to make sure that you're following the routes uh, through co-pilot and that you're double checking at the beginning of the day. Yep. And then just as a idea too on broker, broker loads, things like that, there aren't directions right to the customer. So you're definitely going to have to get those before you, before you head out. Uh, you don't want to get stuck somewhere. And understand, Copilot, too, is probably going to try to route you to a center of town when it doesn't have that, that final 
piece of that direction to the broker. Our directions for our normal customers go right to, you know, it's down to uh, to the to the less than a mile, whatever else. But with this, you're going to have to get those. You're going to have to make that phone call uh, in. And we've had some people make mistakes because uh, they didn't they didn't look at that, didn't understand what they needed to do, and, and you have to do those things. So, so even with our directions, they still got to call the customer, right, and get those details? On the broker loads. Uh, most of the times with our customers, you don't need to, but there might be some customers that maybe are not in the system yet. Yeah. Um. I always advise them to go ahead and call the customer because the customer is local. Um, the broker loads especially, um, always point them out to the new drivers because um, they don't always notice in the instructions where it says, please call broker for dispatch. They don't notice that, so they don't realize it's a broker load. So I always point that out to them. Um, for sure, they definitely want to call them because we don't have the directions. And like John said, the co-pilot is a wonderful tool. It does... If we don't have the location code in the computer, it may take you to city center, which nobody wants to be in a truck. So that's when the stress, that's when the heat starts uh, rising. Yeah, that's why you need to understand that before you go. And and it's just, that's where you trip plan. I mean, it's just so important that you understand what you have before you go. And that's how someone can go about doing this job with as little stress as possible. Yeah, because believe me, there's a lot of stress that, that, I mean, you're talking about traffic, you're talking about weather, you're talking about construction. Uh, there's a lot of stress on the road. There's just no doubt about it. And customers can be, you know, they could be stressed at a different customer, you know, things like that, or just who knows how, how things went from a family standpoint. So, you know, I've, I've always talked about prepare to drive and that, that part two of it is make sure that your head's right before you get in that truck, make sure that you're ready to drive, that you've been well rested and that you're ready to go. Uh, you don't want to get behind that wheel when, when you're tired, uh, when you're not feeling well, uh, or when you're so stressed that you can't function, you can't continue to think about what's going on around you. Uh, that's all important. I mean, that, I got to understand that's your office. And if you can't be in that office to do the job, then you don't need to be in that truck at that point. So, I mean, that's just, that's, that's, that's important to understand that uh, I see sometimes where drivers will say, I just, you know, I'm tired or, you know, I'm really stressed or whatever else. Get to a rest area, get some rest, get, get out of the truck, uh, you know, take a walk. But let's try to relieve that stress and try to, uh, you know, uh, get you in the right frame. And if you're not feeling well, then you cannot be behind that truck. The DOT has regulations from fatigue and illness. So they don't want drivers in there that are fatigued or ill driving a truck. And, uh, you know, that's, we don't want it either because somebody could fall asleep and, and, and accidents involving fatigue uh, usually are pretty critical. So. All very good points. Yeah. So. I understand that you have a little side job. <laughs> uh, for anybody that doesn't know, John is a member of our state assembly. State assembly. Yeah. How do you balance your duties here at Rail with your duties for the government? It was a lot easier when I was a freshman legislator because I wasn't required to be down in Madison as often as I am today. And today, chairing a committee. 
uh, and then dealing with other things down there with experience, you know, having experience now. I've been, this is my sixth term, so I'm going on my 11th year. So I would, I would say that number one is having the right person like, like my boss uh, that understand uh, and understood what it would take and then having the right team here and the right team in Madison. Uh, because if I don't have those two, then I can't really do it. And how I'm able to do those things is, again, having the right teams, but then for me to also make sure that I have my computer with me in both, both locations, that I'm able, am I able to do my work, uh, and that, that I'm always uh, available. And I would say that very, very infrequent, I'm not available. So for the most part, I'm available. Somebody needs to get a hold of me. They know how to. And I'm pretty responsive when it comes down to having to deal with certain situations. Uh, what's nice is with technology today, technology allows me to do it as well. With you know, the technology of our phone system, the technology of our computers, and just the technology of everything we have around us today has allowed me to do that. And even though both are full-time jobs, you know, at the state level, the first six months are usually the busiest because it's budget time, and then it slows down a little bit after that. So, um, you know, at this time of the year, I'm probably in Madison, you know, two to three days a week. Whereas we get to the summer, we get to July and August, and I don't have to be down there as often. And then once we get back into the fall, uh, back into two or three days here and there. And then as soon as next year comes around, it's, it's really a couple months we're down and then we're done. And then it's campaign season all over again. So it just, uh, you know, it's, it's been one of those things. It's, it's somewhat of a juggling act. Mad respect to you, man. Uh, I'm feeling a little underaccomplished myself. <laughs> this guy's former military, currently in the government, running the safety department. What doesn't he do? <laughs> well, you know, when you do when you do something and you've been doing it for a while, you develop this momentum where you can, um, it, uh, and it accumulates where you can you're able to do more as it kind of moves. You got because I I kind of get that with with my role and what I do and sure. you're able to do more and more and do it better and faster just as you do it more just from the experience and the and you kind of see what needs to be done what doesn't need to be done what's critical what's not critical that kind of stuff well you're still young when you become older like me you start slowing down a little bit so it's not as easy because the memory's not always there and not everything is there but you're absolutely right that I think it's momentum but you know it, it's it's interesting because when I was in I was, when I was in the Air Force, I actually worked part time and went to school full time. And throughout my life, even in law, in law enforcement, I worked a number of part time jobs. Uh, when I got into trucking, uh, you know, probably for the first so many years, first ten to twelve years, that was I concentrated on on trucking because my children were just growing up; they were young. And then when I moved up here, I was able to do a little bit more. The other thing too is just building relationships and understanding. The nice thing is being part of an organization like Rail. I'm working in business every day, so when I go down there, I'm doing. I'm actually I I'm working it. So it's not like where I've given up my responsibilities of the private sector. 
I have my responsibilities within the private sector. And I'm able to take those with me to the government and say, this is how, this is what the needs are. This is how things are done. And this is how we need to look at things because I live it every day. I know what the price of this is because I go out and I purchase that. And I know what the unemployment situation is and how hard it is to find people uh, to fill jobs. We need, I mean, I know here in my department, I need some help. And uh, it's not easy to find people. I know from even from the operations side, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. And that's not just a Wisconsin issue. That's an issue that's, that's throughout. Uh, but As a small business owner, I can tell you that we could use some help. Yeah. The, so uh, The uh, employee thing, we, we can't. It, it's so hard to find a good employee. And somebody that, you know, I mean, if you look at the service industry, they've changed a lot of the ways they do things. You know, a lot of them who are open seven days a week are now open five days a week or four days a week. And then now when they were open till midnight, now they might only be open till 10 o'clock. And it's it's just it's one of those things that things have changed. Uh, but I again, I, I see it from the businesses I go to and people I get the chance to visit with and understand that too. But it's nice because I'm coming from an atmosphere uh, and a work environment like we have. I just think it's great that you're in a position where you can change the world in the, in the things that you're passionate <laughs> yeah, about. Thanks. It doesn't sound to me like you have much free time. It sounds like you're working all the time, but we're trying to get to know you. So what mm -hmm. is it you do for fun? What do you do on your yeah. free time? So I have four grandchildren so I try to you know if I can get to them and see them that would be you know would be something I, I try to do as much as I can the bad thing is I have part of them live in Ohio and part of them that live in Florida so it's not easy uh, because it's just my wife and I here in Wisconsin so mm -hmm. it's not like there's a lot of family that we have that's even close so we're always having to travel sure. uh, so and that's probably something else that I enjoy doing and that's traveling uh, and I, I travel quite a bit. Uh, golf, if I get an opportunity, I don't play a lot. I used to play a lot when I first moved here, and really with, with both jobs and doing other things, it just makes it difficult uh, to try to do those things. But, but golf is one, fishing. Uh, you have a cabin up north or something, don't you? I don't. No, you it'd be nice. Spend some time up there. Do you, do you rent one or something? No, I have. It's been a while. It uh, seems like I saw you up in Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've never been to Phillips, <laughs> but I've been to Eagle River. So, uh, but a long time ago, I was in Eagle Eagle River. But uh, you no, apparently you apparently have a twin brother out there somewhere. Probably, Everybody's got double gangers. Well, we were, I think I have two or three of them because I hear that all the time. We were we were playing a show up in Phillips. My band was playing a show. We were at one of those resort yeah bar bar and bar and grill resort <laughs> kind of things on the water. And I could have swore to God it was you that walked out there on the patio to watch us play for five minutes and then left. I was like, well, oh boy, I'm going to hear about that tomorrow. <laughs> no, I, I don't even know where Phillips is. Well, then I apologize. That's okay. Oh. I would have I would have sworn it was you. But. Well, I've never been there, and I don't have anything up north. Uh, I do try to get to uh, to the south as much as I can yeah. uh, in the winter time if I have an opportunity. It just doesn't happen that much. But travel is probably one of the big things that that I enjoy. Uh, and then uh, Travis here likes to travel too. Where'd you yeah. just go to? Well, uh, in the fall. Yeah. Uh, Vienna. Oh, nice. Austria. Yeah, that was good. I know you went to Greece. I, I went to Greece, Greece last year, and I was invited again this year. You gonna go again? I don't know yet. So I'll have to make up my decision. 
uh, make up my mind in the next uh, 10 days. Is that where your family comes from? So part of the family comes from Crete. Crete. Uh, so you're from that and, area. Yeah. And then uh, I'm part of a group of legislators that are all Hellenic born. Uh, so in order to be part of this, you have to be a legislator from the United States or one of the other countries. Basically, you have to be of Hellenic, Hellenic descent. And then what we do is we'll go to Athens and we go to a few different places. Uh, we went to Crete, we went to Rhodes, uh, we went through a, a, num- a number of other islands, which are really, I mean, if you've, ever, if you've never been to Greece, some of the Greek islands are just awesome. The only bad thing is we usually go in July. July is hot. Uh, this last time I went, the f- there was a fire at the airport and there was a fire uh, that that's crippled part of Athens. Last time I went, there was a fire fire that crippled roads and it crippled part of Athens. And that was 105 degrees every day. And which, you know, it's over there, it's deserty. Yeah. So it's it's not you don't get the humidity. You get the, it's more of the dry heat again. Uh, that you would get in a desert, but uh, it's uh, it's really kind of a unique place. And, and getting a chance to look at the seas around and how clear they are, and it's all rocks. I mean, it's not like our beaches with sand and all that. It's usually rock beaches. When you go to these islands, it's just that bright blue, and you can see to the you know see all the way to the bottom. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty cool. So, I've never been to Greece. Yeah, Greece. But is I cool. have been all over Europe. Um, when I was stationed in Germany, I w- was fortunate enough to get out and travel. Every weekend, I would go somewhere, you know. But yeah. my destinations were more in the mountains because I'm a big skier, you know. Yeah. So we would wow, good. we would go to the Alps. We would go mm-hmm. to Innsbruck, Austria. We would go, you know, all over. And that was my destination: is the top of a mountain somewhere, you know. I still want to go back to Germany. Yeah. Uh, I didn't get a, I didn't get the, a chance to really travel that much. I got a chance once to go down to Garmisch hmm. and see the uh, the Allspitz and the Zugspitz. The Zugspitz. Yep. And that one's fun to ski. Yep. I'm sure it was. <laughs> it wasn't. I mean, I know I went up, and, and at that point there was glaciers still. Yep. And we were in shorts and on the glaciers, and then we went to New Schwanstein Castle, yep. and we got to see all that. So from, from my, you know, again, I, I mean, Germany, I really wish I was there for two years. I, I worked a lot of the wine fests in security sure. uh, with with the Polizei, which was kind of cool. But from a from the plant point, I'm sorry, from the point of uh, travel, it really was Garmisch was the big thing, and that yeah. was well, that was a good one to hit. Yeah, it was so beautiful. I mean, Germany really from a clean country, and just was was pretty neat. Was uh, uh, and the food was, uh, you know, it's hard for me to say I don't like some food somewhere. I'm so. I'm a giant history nerd, <laughs> so every weekend I was visiting something that had to do with World War II or, yeah. or, or or skiing or something, you know, and it was just a treasure trove for a history yeah. nerd like myself. History so. and food, yeah. Uh, another good trip that I was on was, uh, you ever been down to, like, the Mayan ruin area? South America? Like Chichen Itza. I wish. Uh, <laughs> we brought the whole family down there, so we were down. You know, all of us were walking around uh, Tulum on the coast yeah. and Chichen Itza. I usually go sw- to swam in the cenote near Chichen Itza. I don't even know where that is. It was uh, fun. Mexico, <laughs> yeah. The, the Yucatan. I'm not a big fan of Mexico, so I mean Aruba is like my 
place that I like to Car- go. Caribbean style? Yeah. We went down to Sardinia yeah. for the NATO war games, mm-hmm. and uh, that was that was an interesting trip. So Yeah, cool. While we were there, you know, they let us uh, – we're – we spent a lot of time loading vehicles onto boats so that we could get them out to the island. And while we were there, we got to go to Pisa to see a leaning tower and all oh. the other places. It was really cool. Yeah. So when they when they say do not enter the tower, they mean it though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't lean on it. Just 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 a heads up, you can't touch that thing. <laughs> it's like some of the Mayan ruins where they don't want you to step, you know. Oh, yeah, you can't even walk on that stuff no, anymore. I've seen people do that, and then they... Uh, we went to a water park. It was We went to two water parks. One was Shauha, and, the, and I don't remember the name of the other one, and you could there were some ruins there. It must have been a private residence, hmm. but like an upscale. It had like a nice little uh, beach bay mm-hmm. kind of thing, real cool. nice. So we got we got to walk on that yeah. a little bit. So Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Travel, food, just good times, good history, experiences, all that stuff. It's yeah. always good. Pretty sure you have a, at least one more survey question for them, don't you? Well, I don't know if we're going to. I think we're done with that. Are you done with it? Oh, I mean, we, man, I guess a, we, do you want to ask them? What was your survey question? You could ask them. Ketchup on a hot dog or no? Uh, I like mustard better. <laughs> like no ketchup? Uh, if I put ketchup on, it's very light. But it's usually I like piss away. I'm from Ohio, and the Cleveland Cleveland has the ballpark mustard. That's the best mustard, honestly. <laughs> if you want true mustard, the best ballpark mustard from Cleveland Stadium, the best. And there you have it. So there that's, you go. That's Yellow a, mustard. <laughs> that's a no to the ketchup. Yes. <laughs> yeah, not a. And that may be that may be our final uh, ketchup survey. <laughs> I apologize for bringing that up. I didn't know you were ending it. It's been going on forever. So, well, with uh, Michael stepping down, I think uh, we'll have to come up with a new survey. We'll have to come up with a new survey. Yeah, yeah. that's a good. Uh, yeah. Well, John, thanks for being here. Yeah, you're welcome. And uh, good luck, and you know, do good in everything you do, and. Keep that passion and keep that momentum and keep that accumulation of knowledge that you can put into what you do and make things better, improve things, keep things good, all that kind of good stuff. I appreciate uh, having me on. All right, y'all. That's it. Thanks for listening. Keep driving the railway and stay safe out there, y'all. All right. Thanks, John.